Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord, saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this, for this vision that you gave Isaiah of yourself. Lord, you were high and lifted up as you should be. Your train filled the temple. Lord, I just pray that you would be high and lifted up in our lives in that manner. He caught a glimpse of, of your presence and your glory Lord, just, just one glimpse of your glory and your holiness and your righteousness should cause us to, to say and do and experience what he did in saying that he's undone. He's, he's a man of unclean lips, as we are. Lord, I just, I just pray that we would just live our lives in a way that when people see us and look at us, they, they see our God high and lifted up. Lord, we, we need you for that. We need your reminders upon how we are to conform to the image of your Son every day. Lord, help us, motivate us to do that. Lord, I just pray that you would be with preacher as he speaks to us in a few moments. Fill him with your Holy Spirit. Strengthen him and just pray that our hearts would be open to exactly what you have for us this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah. Chapter number six, we've been talking the last two weeks and now the third week today about knowing God and our verses back in Jeremiah chapter nine, verses 23 and 24 says, thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this that he understandeth and knoweth me. And that's what God wants us to do, to know him. And so this morning I want us to talk about knowing God in the sense of his holiness. Knowing God's holiness. Of all the things about God that are hard for us sometimes to focus on, perhaps the most difficult is his holiness. Holiness is one of those uncomfortable attributes of God because it reminds us of how unlike God we are. Amen? So let's start with just a definition of God's holiness. 
The holiness of God is his intrinsic and transcendent purity. Intrinsic means it's, it's his nature. It's the very nature of God to be holy. It's transcendent, transcendent in that it transcends. It's far above what we are, isn't it? His holiness. It's the standard of righteousness to which the whole universe must be conformed. God does not conform us to any standard that's created by others. Let me say that again. I want you to remember that. God does not conform to any standard created by others. God is the standard. Amen? He conforms to his own standard. Therefore, his creation has to conform to his standard. One of the problems with man, and Romans chapter 1 talks about it, man tries to make God, bring God down to man, and then tries to lift man up to God. The honest truth is, God is the standard, and we're to be more like him and become like him. God's holiness in many ways is beyond our comprehension. We struggle understanding it. We can only grasp a small part of it. But even a little understanding of the holiness of God will change our lives. It'll make us different people. So what do we mean when we say God is holy? Something that is holy is sacred. It is set apart. If God is holy, and he is, then he is set apart from all others. He is special, amen? He's above all else. He's different from all else. And so as we think about God's holiness, I want us to look at several things. First of all, notice with me the presentation of God's holiness. The presentation is found here in the first four verses of this chapter. Isaiah said, in the year, verse number one of chapter six, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, one, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. In verse 1, it says, The year that King Uzziah died. A great king, Uzziah, died of leprosy. He died somewhere around 740 B.C. We do not know how Isaiah saw God. But he said, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. We don't know if he saw him in a vision. We don't know if he saw him in person. But Isaiah was from a royal family. He was part of and related to the king. He was probably a high court official in that day. And when you put those things into perspective, King Uzziah, also known as King Azariah in 2 Kings, was a good king. He reigned for 52 years. He was very good in that he followed many of the ways of the Lord, and God blessed him as a result of that. But he became prideful. After all, he was the king. He was doing a lot of good things. He thought that he would top it off by burning some incense to God himself. That job was reserved only for the priests. In 2 Chronicles 26 and verse 16, it says, But when he was strong, 
his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. When he did that, the priests in the temple demanded the king that he were to leave. And in 2 Chronicles 26 and verse 19, it says, Then Uzziah was wroth. He was angry. Here are the priests, and they're telling him, the king, that he has to leave. He was wroth, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. King Uzziah became a leper from that day until the day that he died. You see, it's a dangerous thing to invade the holiness of God. And Uzziah thought, he's the king, he's the top dog, he's the greatest, he could do whatever he wanted to. And he violated God's laws. In Leviticus, there were two sons of Aaron. Aaron being the priest, and his sons were the priests after him. And his sons were struck dead because they chose to do the things of God in their own way. Leviticus 10, verses 1 and 2, it says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. You see, they wanted to come to God on their own terms. They wanted to come to God in their own way and not God's way. And I can tell you based on the word of God this morning, there's only one way you can come to God. You have to come God's way or you don't get there. Jesus said, I am the way. There's one way to God and that's through the blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. They wanted to come on their own terms. And God went on and said in verse 3, Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is that the Lord, the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. The holiness, the holiness of God is not a light thing. It is something that we are to take seriously. Now, Isaiah himself in the throne room of God Almighty, he sees the Lord. And the Lord was sitting there on his throne. The Bible says he is high and lifted up. He's above everything else. Uzziah was the king over Judah at the same time that Jeroboam II was king in Israel. The outlook of the nation of Judah was pretty bleak at that time. And in contrast to Isaiah's mood, you have the condition of the southern kingdom, all of that put together, and contrast that with the throne room of God. Here is the Lord high and lifted up. Here is a king who has violated God's holiness and consequently has been smitten with leprosy. And things are not looking too good. But when the king was removed, then Isaiah said, then I saw the Lord. You know, sometimes in our lives there are things that God has to remove before we can really see the Lord as he is. God had to take Uzziah out of the way so Isaiah could see the Lord. He's sitting on his throne. You see, evidently Isaiah saw Uzziah sitting on the throne. He's gone now. Now he sees the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple, the Bible says. 
God is on His throne, and I think it would be good for every one of us to be reminded that God is still on His throne today. Amen? He's still on the throne. And the vision that Isaiah saw reminded him, and it reminds us, though the king had died, God is still alive. Amen? And no matter what goes on in our society and in our world and in our nation and in our politics, God's still on the throne. Amen? He's still alive. And Isaiah said, I saw also the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Who did Isaiah see on the throne? According to the Apostle John, he saw the Lord, the Lord Jesus. Listen to what John chapter 12 and verse 41 says. These things spake Isaiah when he saw his glory, he's talking about Jesus, and spake of him. All the way back in the Old Testament, Isaiah saw Jesus. You see, Jesus is eternal. He didn't just begin when he was born in Bethlehem. He has no beginning. He was back in the book of Genesis when the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. He's eternal. He's the eternal God. He is God. God took Isaiah's eyes off of the problems of this world and placed his eyes on God himself. In Psalm 93 and verse 1, the Bible says, The Lord reigneth, he is clothed with majesty, the Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself, the world also established that it cannot be moved. Now notice God in verse number 1 is high and lifted up. He's high and lifted up. I believe Isaiah would have stood in awe at the very sides of the temple in which God dwelt. The magnificence of that temple. And he sees God high and lifted up above everyone else. I think Isaiah f probably felt about as big as a speck of dirt. <laughs> have you ever gone into a situation and you talked to somebody and maybe it wasn't a good situation and you really got blessed out or reamed out or whatever and you felt like you left, you could have gone, crawled under the door instead of opening the door and go out? I remember one time when I was in college, I did like a lot of college kids did. I ran out of money. I was laid off of my job for a while, and I went in to see Dr. Robertson, who was the president of our college and also my pastor, and, and I told him I was going to have to leave school for a semester because I didn't have money. And in those days, at the end of the semester, you had to go pay your college bill, and if you didn't have enough to pay, if you paid the bill, they gave you an exam to go, or a, a, a slip, a permission slip to go take your exams. If you didn't pay the bill, you couldn't take your exams, so you didn't get credit for the semester. So I told him I was going to have to leave the next semester because I didn't have money. And he said, he, he just read me the riot act, you know. He said, you're going to go home and you're never going to come back. And he just went on and on. I felt like that day I could have gone out underneath the door, Dr. Iverson's office, and uh, I wouldn't have to open the door. I think he was trying to, when I left, I said, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'll show him, I'll be back. Well, that's what he wanted me to do. <laughs> but I didn't feel too good that day when I went out the door. I think that's kind of the way Isaiah felt that day. He saw the Lord, and all of a sudden, he saw him as just a little speck of dust, of nothing. And then it says, his train, talking about the Lord, his train filled the temple. The train was the hem of his garment. It's kind of like, ladies, when you have your wedding and you have that wedding dress and behind you, you have a long train, right? And you usually have a maid of honor that helps to move that around and all. 
what is the garment? We'll see it in just a moment. The garment of the Lord is light. And it's kind of like that light just flowed from the Lord and filled the whole temple. The whole temple, the Bible says, his train filled the temple. In Psalm chapter 104 and verse 1 and 2, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who covereth thyself with light as with a garment, who stretcheth out the heaven like a curtain. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. He is clothed with light. If there is no darkness at all in him, in God's light, try to imagine the intensity of the light that was in that temple when God was there in the temple. The most intense lightning on earth. You know, sometimes you're driving down the road and you see lightning flashing. And if, if you're looking right at the place, it can almost blind you, can't it? The brightness of that light. That doesn't even begin to be as bright as the glory of our God. In verse number 2 of Isaiah 6, it says, Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Seraphims are angels that evidently their job is to guard the very holiness of God. Their name, seraphim, literally means burning ones. Imagine their intense brightness as they fly around the throne and attend to the worship of God. I think that these creatures were probably huge creatures. Imagine the giant wingspans of these seraphims and the massive power of those wings as they move in that temple. Even these creatures that had not been tainted with sin as they flew around did not look upon God. In fact, they covered their faces with their wings and they covered their feet in humility. If these creatures are in all of the glory of God, certainly we ought to be in all of the glory of God even more so than they were. In verse 3 it says, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. These creatures, how many of them were not told. But it says each of them had six wings. They fly around God's throne proclaiming His holiness. Holy, holy, holy. And please realize that the proclamation of God's holiness was probably very, very loud because it goes on to say in verse number 4, And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. I believe that these angels were making this proclamation of the holy of holiness of God with such booming voices that it literally moved those posts in the temple. I love that old song we sing sometimes, Holy, 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 written by Reginald Heber and John Dykes. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Heber's wife, after he had passed away, among her husband's papers, she found the words of that powerful song, Holy, holy, holy. Beautiful hymn. But years passed by before the song was put to music. In 1861, a publisher rediscovered the words of that song and he asked John Bacchus Dykes to furnish him with a, with a tune. It made sense for him to provide the tune, for John himself was a, 
very gifted musician. He had graduated with a master in music. He had the church, he had been a church organist since he was 10 years old. He was the co-founder and president of the Cambridge University Musical Society. John accepted the words and they said within 30 minutes he wrote the tune, which carried the praise of the Trinity to Christians everywhere. That statement, holy, 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 there's only two times that it's found in the Bible. Here in Isaiah chapter 3, and again in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8. In Isaiah 3, 6, 3, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is, the, is full of his glory. In Re Revelation 4, verse 8, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Heavenly creatures are uttering the words of God in praise in both of these cases. In Isaiah's testimony, it is the seraphim, the angelic creatures who call to another and say, holy, holy, holy. In John's revelation, it is the four living creatures who day and night never cease to say, holy, holy, holy. Can you imagine that? Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. In general, holy means to be set apart. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, and again in verse or 44, and again in verse 45, as well as many other places in the Bible, it says, Ye shall be holy, and then it says, I am holy. Twenty-four times in the Old Testament, the word holy is used in reference to the tabernacle or the temple, the church. It is a holy place. The moral attribute of God is holiness. The Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology writes this, and I quote, One does not define God. Similarly, the idea of holiness is at once understandable and elusive. Nevertheless, there is not a term equal to the fullness inherent in holiness. All of heaven's hosts, Israel and the church, ascribe praise to a holy God because that idea sets him apart from everything else. Holiness is what God is. Holiness also comprises his plan for his people. There are many suggestions as to why the seraphims repeated the word holy, holy, holy. It is used to show the Trinity, the three persons in the Godhead. It's as if he's saying holy is the Father, holy is the Son, holy is the Holy Spirit. Repeating holy three times is presenting the perfection of God. Three in the Bible is a sign of perfection. Repeating holy three times strengthens and deepens the superlative that God is holy. Repeating holy three times increases the claim that God is holy, entirely and unquestionably the holiest of holy, the holiest that has ever existed. Repeating holy three times, holy is he who created us, holy is he who redeemed us, and holy is he who sanctifies us. Philadelphia pastor James Boyce once spoke to a discipleship group about the attribute of, attributes of God. And he began by asking them to, uh, to list the qualities of God in order of importance. He said they put love first, followed by wisdom, power, mercy, omniscience, and truth. And at the end of their list, they put holiness. He said, that did not surprise me because the Bible refers to God's holiness, or he said that did surprise him because the, God, the Bible speaks of God's holiness more than any other attribute. The Bible doesn't 
say loving, loving, loving. It doesn't say wise, wise, wise. It doesn't say omniscient, omniscient, omniscient. But over and over again, it says holy, holy, holy. And then verse 3 goes on to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The Hebrew word there is Yahweh Sabaoth. It means the Lord of the heavenly armies. He's the Lord of hosts, the hosts of heaven. It's also written some places as Lord Almighty. His army is unseen to the human eye. We do not see the army of God. When the king of Syria brought the troops to fight against Israel, Elisha's servant was afraid by the massive array of the military that was coming against them. And in 2 Kings 6, verse 15 and 16 and 17, it says, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, that's the Syrian army, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eye, the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. We don't see those holy hosts, but God opened Elisha's servant's eyes to see them. Jehovah Sabaoth, he is in charge of the hosts of heaven. <clears throat> Perhaps in our lives when the odds are stacked against us, maybe we should respond like David did. David said, whom shall I fear? If we have the Lord of hosts on our side, who do we have to be afraid of? In Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In verse 4 of that same chapter, it says, In the post of the door, or in chapter 6, it says, The post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. So as these angels are saying, Holy, 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 the place is filled with smoke, the Bible says. The posts, as I said earlier, literally vibrated. The house was filled with smoke. It's a symbol of the glory of God, the presence of God. So this was an awesome scene that Isaiah is seeing here, showing to Isaiah and showing to you and me the awesomeness of the holiness of our God. So we see a presentation in the first part of this chapter of the holiness of God. There's a second thing I want you to notice, and that is the problem with God's holiness. There was a problem in this passage. In verse number 5, it says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah had a problem with God's holiness. Isaiah's problem with God's holiness was Isaiah's own sinfulness. See, when he saw the holiness of God, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. In the time of Isaiah, it would have been easy for Isaiah to compare himself with other Jews that were there in the nation at that time. And if he compared himself with others around him, he would have been very comfortable. Today, you and I must not do that. We must not compare ourselves with those around us. Isaiah knew better than that. He compared himself not with those around him, but with the holiness of God. And when we see the holiness of God, instead of looking at others and, and saying, well, I must be pretty good, I'm better than this one or that one, 
When we look at the holiness of God, we say with Isaiah, well, I'm not very much. Woe is me. Isaiah saw God. And when he saw God, he was terrified. When he saw the pure holiness of God, he said, woe is me, for I am undone. The problem was his sinfulness. And then I want you to notice also the purification of God's holiness. Something happened when Isaiah saw this holiness. Look at verse number 6. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which had been taken with the tongs from off the altar, and laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sins are purged. The moment Isaiah came to the end of himself, and saw his own filthiness was the moment that God provided his holiness for Isaiah. And the moment that you and I, without Christ, come to see our sinfulness in compared to the holiness of Almighty God, it is then that God turns and purges us and cleanses us of our wickedness and our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, God, who knew no sin... He hath made him, made Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God take, took Jesus and made him sin. Jesus literally became our sin on the cross. And then God takes his righteousness and he puts that on me. And when I got saved and when you got saved, we became the holiness of Almighty God in the sight of God. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians with me, chapter 6, for a moment, in verse number 9. 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, and verse 9. And I want to look at a couple of verses there. Listen carefully to what the Apostle Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. In chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, in verse number 9, he says this. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves, themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then notice verse 11, and such were some of you, but ye are, what's the next word? Washed. Ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The moment a Christian comes to the end of himself and confesses his self as a sinner before Almighty God, God cleanses us, he purges us, and he is able to then say, but such were you, but now ye are washed. We are washed. And then finally, I want you to notice the practical application of God's holiness. What does all of this have to say for you and me? How do we apply this to our life? Look at verse number 8. He says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. God did not save you and me so that we could go on living the way we did before. He cleansed us, purged us, saved us, so that our life could then be productive for Him. If you are saved and a child of God, 
and you confessed that you were a sinner and you invited Jesus Christ into your heart and life, then God's holiness will accomplish two things in your life. First of all, because you appreciate the cleansing that you have received, you will be available to God for whatever purpose He has for you. Isaiah said, or the Lord said, Whom shall I send and who will go for me? And what did Isaiah say? Here am I. Send me. He saw the holiness of God. He saw his sinfulness. God took the coals from the altar and cleansed him. And Isaiah said, okay, God, what can I do for you? Here am I. Send me. In 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16, it says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. What has God called you to? What has He called me to? What does God want us to do now that we are cleansed and now that we are forgiven and now that we are saved? Listen to what He says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4 and 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'll read them for you. He says in, in verse number 3 of 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God has given us this new life. And he tells us that we are kept by the power of God. I don't have to try to keep my salvation. God takes care of that. I'm kept. He keeps me. You know, sometimes people say, I'll just keep holding on to, to Jesus. You know, the, you and I aren't holding on to him. He's holding on to us. If it was up to us holding on to him, we're in trouble. But we're kept by the power of God. God has given us that salvation, and He's given us, He says, an incorruptible, incorruptible inheritance in heaven. And it is God who is a holy God who has called us and called us to live a holy life. God wants to live for Him and serve Him. We who are God's children and have been born again into the family of God, He says in John 1.12, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. I can't do that in my own power, but God gives me the power. Your conversation, your manner of life, your behavior is to be like father, like son. Our father is holy. I, as a child of God, am to live a holy life. I'm set apart from evil and set apart to the father himself. So this holy God has called me to live a holy life. And then notice also the only way that we can live that life, that holy life, is through the power of the one that has made us holy. It's only through His power. It's only through the work of the Spirit of God in us that we can live a holy life, that we can live like we ought to. If you have seen the holiness of God, and if you have dealt with your sin and seen yourself as a sinner, when you come to know Christ as your Savior, and then as a believer, by confessing our sins to Him, as 1 John 1.9 says to us as Christians, when we fail and when we sin, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Our sins are purged, and we are to be available to God to say, Lord, here am I, send me. I want to live a holy life. I want to serve you. You have called me. You have forgiven me. You have saved me. 
now I want to do something for you. And I want to serve you. So we've seen this morning the presentation of God's holiness. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. We have seen the problem with holiness. Isaiah saw himself, his sinfulness. He said, woe is me. We've seen the purification of God's holiness. When we come to the end of ourselves and see ourselves as sinful, sinful before the Lord, we turn our lives to Him and He cleanses us and purifies us. And then the practical application of holiness is when we have been cleansed and made a child of God, we are to be available to do whatever it is that He wants us to do. Here am I, send me. And this God who is holy wants me to live a holy life. But I can only do it as I depend upon Him and trust Him. And He gives me the power and the might and the ability to do it. You may say, preacher, I can never live that way. You're exactly right, neither can I. But God has given us the power and the ability to do it. And He wants to do it. He wants us to do it. We see Him high and lifted up and holy. We see ourselves sinful. We acknowledge that He's the only hope. He cleanses us of our sins. He says, okay, now I want you to serve me. Here am I, send me. And I want you to live a holy life for me. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this wonderful chapter. It tells us of the holiness of our God. And as we get to know you, it's your desire that we know you and understand you better. We get to see your holiness. It makes us understand how, how much we've failed and how wicked and ungodly and unlike you we are. But oh, how I thank you that you cleanse us with your precious blood. And you call us to serve you and to live for you. And you enable us. You give us the power and the strength to walk with you and serve you every day of our lives. Would you help us this morning to have a fresh view of the holiness of our God. To have a fresh view of our sinfulness. To be reminded of our cleansing by the blood of Christ. May we afresh and anew today say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Use me. Help me to live a holy, godly life like you. And use me for your glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.